0: Today's Bible reading is from Titus 2, verses 11 to 15. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and holy lives in this present age. While we wait for the blessed hope, The appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. These, then, are the things you should teach. Encourage and rebuke with all authority and do not let anyone despise you. This is God's word.
1: Thanks, Deanna. Uh, Do keep that um, open in front of you. Uh, Long time no no see. It's me again. And um, if you didn't catch my name, it's Pete Sinclair. Um, And I'm um, going to um, hopefully explain to us what um, um, Titus has been instructed to do there. But before we do that, let's uh, pray that God would um, use this passage to teach us. Heavenly Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you that it teaches us to lead godly lives. Would you now teach us by shaping our hearts by what we hear? In Jesus' name, amen. Well, the year was 2014. Um, I was working for a year for a Christian uh, charity that ran summer camps, um, and they had given me a car for the year, a beautiful red Skoda that ran on petrol. It was the end of a long summer, uh, and I had been with teenagers for 30 days straight, which is exhausting. Um, uh, it was the last uh, day and the last trip of the last camp of summer and so it was also the last day that I would be working for this charity. It was hot, I was tired and I had swapped my beautiful petrol red Skoda for a colleagues grey Ford Fiesta. Friends. You'd be worried to hear that as I pulled into the petrol station with several teenagers in the back raring to go for their beach trip, they were so looking forward to it, that I had not checked whether this car was a petrol or a diesel engine. I left the car. I put the nozzle in the um, the thing, the thing, you know, where you fill the car up. Um, And it was not until I had filled it with 15 to 20 litres of petrol that I looked down at the fuel cap and what did it say? It said diesel. The AA were called, the charity was invoiced several hundred pounds and I spent the best uh, part of my day waiting in a very hot car wishing I was at the beach. The only silver lining that I remember is that one teenager who'd been particularly kind of uh, despondent, kind of all week and very cool, um, at the point that he had realised what had happened, he whipped his phone out and started videoing me with glee as I was kind of like slumping in my misery at what I had just done. Um, We all know, don't we, unlike me on that fateful summer's morning, um, that car engines need the right fuel to function. Unless you put the right fuel in them, they will remain motionless. Or worse, you put the wrong fuel in them, they misfire and they go off in entirely the wrong direction. And it's the the same for people and motivation, isn't it? Um, uh, The right motivation gives people direction, gives them a name, gives them a target in which to travel, and then it fires them off in that direction. The wrong motivation does the exact opposite, and it leaves them motionless, a bit like that grey Ford Fiesta. As we've just seen in the, um, in the video, the aim for the church in Crete is to make the gospel look attractive to their neighbours. And the plan is that they would do that by living lives that are so distinct, so beautiful, so wholesome, so good, that the whole island might look at them, the church, and say, I want a bit of what they're having. The teaching of their God and Saviour, that sounds good to me. And that's why last week um, in Titus, if you were with us, um, Paul has been telling Titus to teach the church. Uh, Do you remember last week, teach the men, uh, teach the women, uh, teach, teach, teach. It was all being repeated. And what were they being taught? To live good lives. That's the goal, to lead a godly life. And of course, it's the same for our church today, isn't it? Our goal as inspired St James, Clark and Well are to lead godly lives so that other people would be attracted to the gospel that has made an impact in our lives. But as we seek to lead these godly lives, we need to be careful that our motivation is right. Let me ask us um, this afternoon, um, what fuel are you putting into your Christian life? Petrol or diesel? is it the right kind, the right motivation? Well, um, today, uh, in today's passage, we find out what Paul thinks should be motivating the Christian life. Did you see that word that he started our, uh, uh, our section with? For, at the beginning of verse 11, for. It's an important word. Why is it important? Well, because for means, in this context, because of the following. Paul is about to tell us the reason to lead a godly life. It is the motivator. It's the premium, undiluted, high-octane, high-performance, Formula One fuel for the Christian life. And he's about to tell us what it is. And it is the thing that is going to propel us forward and in the right direction. So don't don't you want to know what it is? Well, let's read on. Read with me. The grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people you see it's grace that is the motivation for godly living grace is the motivation for godly living um, but doesn't that leave us with the question what is this grace that is going to motivate us for godly living well as we thought about earlier in the service um, grace is a free gift and it's described here as having appeared in the past Um, which is actually the same word that Paul uses in verse 13 when he describes the appearing of Jesus in the future. Uh, So you see, in verse 11, Paul is talking about the past appearing of Jesus. When Jesus appeared 2,000 years ago on this earth, he was God's grace. He was God's free gift to us. But what does that mean? Why was it that Jesus' appearing was God's free gift to us? Well, we get our answer in verse 14, look with me who gave himself, that's Jesus, for us to redeem us from all wickedness. This grace in verse 11 is a free gift from God and that gift was Jesus who gave himself to redeem us. The free gift is Jesus and his gift of redemption. You see, um, we were all held at one point as captive to sin, which is being an enemy of God. And we needed to be redeemed back. And redemption is the language of a slave being bought out of slavery and given their freedom at a price. You see, we were slaves to sin and we needed a price to be paid for our release. And Jesus came to pay that price with his life so that we might be free. And therefore, if you're a Christian here today, do you know you've been bought... You no longer belong to a life of wickedness. Instead, you've been set free. You see, the motivator for living the Christian life, a godly life, is that we have been set free by Christ. Christ appeared, he brought us out of wickedness, and having been set free, we now live a free life. Grace is our motivator for living the godly life, because it set us free. And if we fuel our lives with this grace, we'll, we'll live out a thankful life, um, thanking grace, loving grace, because it set us free. Um, but lots of Christians um, uh, uh, just try to fuel their life with a different type of motivation. I've certainly seen this um, happen in my own life. I wonder if you've seen it in your life. Um, trying to substitute something in for that grace. And what we often try and substitute in is something called legalism. We try and use legalism to motivate us. And legalism tries to motivate us um, because legalism makes us think if I live a good enough life, um, God will be happy with me. So, therefore, I better lead a good life. If I work hard enough, God will be happy with me. So, I better work hard enough. Or, one that I experience, I don't know if you experienced this too if I'm one of the best people in my church, if I'm one of the top, if I'm productive. God will think I'm a top quality Christian. But you see, it's nonsense. Filling our motivation tank with legalism is a terrible idea because legalism will either lead us to despair or pride. Let me, let me uh, give you an example. If you think that you can make things right with God by performing well enough, you'll end up despairing. Why? Well, we've all been in that situation of trying really hard to do something. I won't be angry. I will not be angry. I won't be angry. And then we fail. I'm angry again. And when we fail, we feel deflated, don't we? Uh, I I can't do this. That's what we begin to think. I'm not good enough for God, I can't do this. And then you'll give up. Think, if I can't do this, then what is the point of living a godly life? Fuel your tank. With trying to be good enough and watches your Christian life splutters and dies as you end up waiting for the AA to come out and rescue you like that car. But where legalism has led us to despair, when we're thinking, how can I be good enough for God, therefore I'm just going to not try, grace comes in and says, look, the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. Friends, you don't need to build up a bank of godly things that you've done in order to do a deal with God. He has already given you the free gift of freedom from wickedness. And that freedom is the very freedom that leads us to to live a life of thankfulness. Where despair has crept in and drives us to a standstill, grace reboots us, it revitalizes us, it reignites us and off we go, living a godly life of thankfulness. It's like the Red Skoda on the way to the beach. Hooray! We've been set free. That's our motivator. But legalism can also cause pride. Uh, Maybe you're actually quite good at keeping the rules. Um, In fact, you can't think of the last time that anyone needed to correct you. Um, Maybe you're here today and you're a midweek group leader. Maybe you're a pillar of the community. God must like me you think. So what's the problem? Well you might seem to be doing well but even though your actions seem good to other people they're not good enough to deal with sin which is the fundamental problem isn't it? You'll be motivated all right but you'll end up in the wrong destination because sin won't have been dealt with. You'll be doing actually the very thing, like the teachers in Crete, they were were proud, and therefore they they were not good for any good work. We'll end up in the wrong destination, not appreciating God's grace, and not leading a godly life. But you see, where legalism has made us proud, so that we, we think we're living lives that look godly, but actually they're all about making us look good, grace comes in and humbles us. It tells us, You couldn't be okay with God, you could never be okay with God, apart from Jesus, and wonderfully he is the one who is offering you the free gift of redemption. See, legalism, just a surefire way of ending up like that abandoned diesel Ford Fiesta, filled with petrol, motionless, not going anywhere, or like a Ford Fiesta that's been filled with fighter jet fuel and is going at 100 miles an hour only, it's in the wrong direction and into the nearest tree. But thankfully, grace is the motivation for godly living because the grace of God has given us freedom and therefore we can live as God's free people. But how does grace um, motivate us in the here and now, in the day-to-day? Well, grace propels us forward to godly living by teaching us. Did you see in verse 12, um, read with me, it teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, godly lives in the present age. So remember, that's the aim, isn't it, for the church in Crete? To live in this present age godly lives. And grace is the way that it's going to teach us to do that. Grace is the teacher Of godly living. But what does that mean, that grace is a a teacher? Does that mean that grace is kind of up at the front with his chalkboard, you know, I'm teaching you, I'm grace. How does grace teach us? What does that mean? Well, the the 19th century um, Anglican um, Canon Hay Aitken said this, grace bases all her teachings upon the great facts in which her first grand revelation of herself was made, and finds all her teaching power in those mighty memories. Okay, a bit antiquated language. Let me read it just again so that we all get it. Grace bases all her teaching upon the great facts in which her first grand revelation of herself was made and finds all her teaching power in those mighty memories. You see, the way that grace teaches us is to present majestic truths about the past, how grace saved us, and the future, where our destination is, to show them to us so that God would use them to impact our hearts and change our lives. Let me give you an example. I'm a movie lover, so let me give you an example from the movies. Uh, One of my favorite films uh, is Gladiator. Um, bit old now, Ridley Scott film, great Oliver Reed performance. It's fantastic. If you've not seen it, go and see it. Um, But let me give you a brief synopsis if you've not seen it. Um, A Roman general who was loyal to the old emperor is betrayed by the new emperor. And then he seeks justice for the things that have been done to him. And at the midpoint of the film, this is what he, the character, says. His name is Maximus, by the way. He's He's a Roman. His name's Maximus. He says this. My name is Maximus Decimus Meridius, commander of the armies of the north, general of the Felix legions, and loyal servant to the true emperor, Emperor Marcus Aurelius, father to a murdered son, husband to a murdered wife, and I will have my vengeance in this life or the next. It's kind of quite spine-tingly, isn't it? You know, if you watch the film, it's very spine-tingly. But can you see what Maximus is saying? My past and my future are determining my present. Uh, So his past, his wife and his son were murdered by this uh, treacherous emperor, and his future, he's going to get justice for what was done to him in the future. So the past and the future, and they're impacting him in the present. What is he going to do? He's going to fight as a gladiator until he gets the opportunity to fight the emperor who betrayed him. Okay, so it's impacting him in the now. And does he do it? Well, you have to watch the film to figure that out. But in the same way, the past, the appearing of Christ to redeem us, and the future, Jesus appearing again when he will come to reign, are meant to motivate us, to teach us in the here and now to act godly lives. So let's start with the past. Um, the past as we look at the first appearing of uh, grace and the appearing of Jesus. Uh, Read with me in verse um, 14, "...who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness." So how does grace use the past to teach us? Well, firstly, grace is showing us what we were saved from. It was wickedness. Uh, It's quite a strong word, isn't it, wickedness? But grace is showing us that the lifestyle we led wasn't just a bit naughty, it wasn't just a bit cheeky, it was wicked. Um, I wonder if you were shocked by the things that the Cretans were described as um, earlier in our series in Titus. The Cretans are described as liars, evil brutes, lazy gluttons, and we were just like that before we were saved. And so grace Wants us to see the revoltingness of the life of wickedness we used to lead so that we don't go back to it, we've been set free from it. When we think about lying um, and we think, oh, it was just a few white lies, it won't matter if I keep doing that, grace is there showing us that the old way of lying, well, it was dishonest and it was ugly. Uh, when we're there and we're thinking about gossiping, we think it, it wasn't that bad. It was just getting some stuff off my chest. Grace is there saying, "No, it was wicked." Don't you see? Gossip undermines relationships and erodes trust in communities. And when we think about losing control and we think about let it and we think well, it was just a bit of letting off steam, Grace is there saying, "No, it was wicked." Don't you see the damage done to people when you lose it, you lose your self-control? Grace teaches us to see wickedness for what it really is. And grace shows us how bad our wickedness was by showing us what was needed to get rid of it. And, you know, Jesus, uh, he had to give himself up for the cost of releasing you from that wickedness. It wasn't an easy thing for Jesus to do to pay the price of your redemption. Jesus had to go to death by crucifixion to pay the price for the wickedness that we had committed. The Son of God had to be killed. There was a real cost. So next time we consider a bit of the old wickedness on the side, Grace is there saying, no, it was wicked. Think of what it cost Jesus. Think of the one who was severed from his father, who was severed from life itself, so that you could be severed from the old life of wickedness. He gave himself for you. You're now free. Don't go back to wickedness. Say no to it. See, grace teaches us by seeing the reality of the life we used to lead and the fact we've been set free from it. But grace doesn't just remind us what we've been delivered from, It also shows us what we've been redeemed for. Uh, Read on with me in verse 14. um, To purify himself, a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. Uh, Grace teaches us who we now live for, and it's Jesus. Uh, Jesus gave himself to do away with our old way of life, and now he possesses us we're his, just listen as I read that again, how personal that sentence is, to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good, we're his now, he loves us, he bought us, and he has a plan for us, did you see it? Jesus is purifying his church, he's making it clean, he's making it eager to do what is good. So our purpose as his people are to live lives that are in step with what our wonderful master who brought us out of wickedness redeemed us for. We should be eager to do what is good, because we're his. If you've, um, if you've seen Toy Story, um, you'll know that the main character, who is called Woody, who is a toy cowboy, has the name Andy uh, written on the bottom of his shoe. And the name is there for two reasons. Firstly, uh, it tells Woody who he belongs to. He's Andy's. Andy loves him. Andy takes care of him. Andy takes him on cowboy camp every summer. He's Andy's. He's loved by him. And the second reason is to remind Woody of what Woody's purpose is in response to that love. And his purpose is to live as Andy's toy, to please Andy. You see, grace is teaching us here that Jesus' name is under the shoe of every one of us, if we're Christians. You're his now. You're loved by him. He bought you, and he's given you a purpose listen again, to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. So when each of us are confronted by temptations to go back to wickedness uh, or to not lead godly lives, grace is there uh, teaching us, remember what Christ is doing with his church. Remember the plan, live your life eager to do the will of your wonderful master It's what you were set free to do. So that's the past. That's how grace teaches us with the past. But how does grace teach us with the future to live godly lives in the here and now? Well, um, let's just go back to verse 13. Why don't you read with me verse 13? While we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of our great God and saviour, Jesus Christ... So you see, uh, grace was teaching us with the past, now it's teaching us with something that will happen in the future, something that we look forward to. It's literally a a hope that brings blessing, it's going to bring blessing in the future. It's a moment coming in the future that is going to be so, so, so wonderful, it is worth living for now. Some of you will know, a couple of months ago, I got married um, to a lady called Imogen, who was just um, back there, we not embarrassed her too much. Hi, Imogen. Um, uh, but um, our engagement period um, felt like it took an age, like a literal age, like thousands of years. It was, it was, um, there were spreadsheets, uh, there were invites that had to be sent... There were table plans. Um, And let me tell you, even though Imogen did most of the work, I must say that in public, Imogen did most of the work. Um, But let me tell you, um, for both of us, uh, it was an arduous process. It required effort. It was tough. But was it worth it? Yes. Because there was a point coming in the future, while we're in the thick of the engagement uh, wedmin, There was a moment coming in the future that was going to make sense of it all when we were married. And anticipating the happiness of that moment when we would get married was enough to motivate me through the engagement period, even when it was tough. And in the same way, we ought to want to live godly lives now in the light of that future moment which will bring the happiness of Jesus Christ appearing. Did you hear how excited Paul sounds in that verse? Let me just read it to you again. Paul writes, the appearing of our great God and saviour, Jesus Christ. And is it any wonder that Paul is so excited? The one who bought us freedom, the one who bled for us, the one who loves us like no one else could, he is the one who's coming back. So let's live for him now. It must be a bit like when those Thai boys that were trapped in the um, cave, uh, when they were lifted out of the cave and they came face-to-face with the divers who had rescued them. Imagine how joyful that moment was for them. Face-to-face. And that will be what it will be like when Jesus returns. We will be face-to-face with our Saviour. So we live for him now. If we think about indulging worldly passions... Um, or, or not living this godly lifestyle grace is there saying do the hard work of living for Jesus now because when he comes back it will be so worth it so grace is our teacher teaching us to lead godly lives by making us look to the past when Jesus saved us and to the future when Jesus returns but what is our response as a community as a church Well, uh, this passage is mainly applied, actually, to Titus, um, the church leader, um, and he is meant to teach the rest of the church. In verse 15, you can see there, Paul tells Titus, uh, these then are the things you should teach. Um, And what does he mean? Well, he means the godly aspects of living that we thought about last week and the grace um, that motivates us to live those lives. And so the question for us is, as we're taught um, to lead a godly life, Um, and we're taught about the grace that that, that motivates us to do it, are we good students of grace? Do we listen? Um, We've discovered in this book of Titus that on Crete, there are lots of people who just ignore this message. Um, Now, we might not be doing that. We might not be running off to false teachers or to join this group, the, the circumcision group. We're probably not doing that. But look, folks, we may have slipped into being motivated by something other than this amazing grace that we've just considered, being taught by something other than grace. Functionally, we might be living the Christian life uh, motivated by thinking we can be uh, good enough by what we do uh, for God or by looking good enough in church. That's the thing that's going to motivate me if other people say, well, they're doing pretty well. Um, Let me give you a, a personal example um, I'm often very motivated um, by knowing that other people are watching me do godly things. Okay? Um, if someone comes up to me and says, well, I saw that thing that you did, Pete, and yeah, it looked really good, I will instantly think, well, I'm going to do it again, because then I'll get more praise. Okay? That's an insight into my psychology. Um, but it doesn't really work as a motivation tactic, because as soon as the eyes of other people are off me, the motivation to lead a godly life goes. And there are whole areas of my life that no one else sees at all. Um, that my financial, um, uh, the, the way I use money, um, the way I spend my time online, the things that I'm thinking. None of that's seen by other people. But if I go to God's word and I'm taught to look at this grace, to see Jesus crucified to, for my redemption, to see Jesus coming again, that will motivate me in my personal life so I should come back again and again to see those two things shouldn't I to see the grace and let it teach me let me ask every one of us here um, how often do you come back to this message of grace how often do we remind ourselves of Jesus' death to redeem us How often do we remind ourselves of what God's purpose for his church is now that we've been redeemed for? How often do we take time to think about the glorious moment of Jesus coming back that makes godly living now so worth it? Let's do that more. Let's come to grace more in God's word. And as a church, as a community, do we encourage each other with this? Um, At the end of the service today, we'll all have coffee, we'll all have cake, it'll be wonderful. Um, And imagine that someone comes up to you in that context and they say, look, um, look, Pete, I'm I'm having, um, uh, I'm finding this aspect of godly living really difficult. Can you pray for me? What what should we pray for one another in that context? Should we just pray, I'll pray that you try harder. I'll try, I'll pray that you you, you get some more effort. Pray that you get a, a better work ethic no we should say friend it's difficult i'll pray for you that you see the redeemer who redeemed you and see that he is coming back and see his purpose for your life now let's be praying for one another let's be encouraging one another with this amazing grace that we've just been thinking about let's be good students of grace coming to it again and again and showing others. And as we do that, we'll be filled by this grace as individuals and as a community. And as we're filled by grace, as it motivates us, as it teaches us, we'll start to live grace-filled lives that bring glory to this great and gracious God and Jesus Christ our Saviour, and make this teaching attractive to our neighbours, to our colleagues, to our friends, to our families, so that they might say, I want to know the transforming power of this grace too. Let me pray for us. Father God, your grace is amazing, that you would redeem us by the blood of your Son. And Father, as we uh, read these um, verses, we... um, We pray that you would uh, teach us with this grace, that we would keep coming back to it and be students of grace. Father, please, would you use this grace to teach us to lead godly lives, um, so that we would make the teaching about your son Jesus attractive, and that many people would see Jesus and want to know his free offer of grace too. In his precious name, amen.